And God has blessed us, and so let's uh, sow into his kingdom with the monies that he's given to us. Um, just to say it too, I appreciate your prayers just as uh, as we're doing our um, offering. I'm actually um, heading off to Uganda next Sunday, so we'll not be here. Um, and I'd love your prayers if you wouldn't mind. Um, uh, doing that. I'm heading, uh, I, I go once or twice a year. I'll talk more about that at some other point where we, uh, some of you know we have a project out there <coughs> uh, where we built a secondary school and help um, diff- help a church out there. And our link there is Pastor Richard. But this time I'm actually flying up into the north of Uganda. We're getting flown into uh, Entebbe and then um, getting one of those math little flights. <laughs> um, Mission Aviation Frontiers little uh, whatever they are, 10 seaters. So I'd appreciate your, your prayers for that. You don't actually even give them the weight. You don't give them your, you know, your cabin baggage weight. You have to give them your actual weight um, because um, uh, the, the plane's so small. So um, I appreciate your prayers for that. But we're going up into a refugee camp there. Uh, and it's called Bidi Bidi in the north of Uganda. It's the biggest refugee camp, they reckon, in the world at the moment. Lots of southern Sudanese have come down over the border into northern Uganda. We've, we've been able to drill two wells in that refugee camp, which is brilliant. But I, I, I want to take, I'm going to make a video there, a film, short video, a trend just to raise awareness of what's happening. That we're going <coughs> to, excuse me, release all around the 24/7 prayer network. Hopefully, to raise up prayer for this uh, issue and for many of these um, refugees in such a war-torn part of the world where there's just extreme poverty. So, appreciate your prayers for that over the next couple of weeks, and I'll miss you. But I'm really pleased, and I really sense <coughs> we're onto something at the moment. I feel like. Um, I'm excited uh, in my spirit about what the Lord's doing here amongst us. And uh, I just really want to encourage you just in your hearts just to continue as a family and as a community together to really engage with what the Lord's doing, allow him to do in our hearts the new things that he wants to do. And let's discern together um, what he's trying to say to us over the next few weeks and months as um, we know he's called us here to pour it down. We're on a, a theme at the moment, basically uh, around the book of Nehemiah, and we're teaching through the practices that we think... Um, is that working? No? Oh, there we go. <clears throat> we're, we're teaching on the six practices that we feel are going to... Um, define us as a, as, a, as a people here, and Emmanuel poured it um, the six kind of core practices and values that we want to keep on doing because we feel that will shape who God's calling us to be as a family on mission. We feel these reflect the heart of the Lord as well, and in particular for us at those, this moment. And so we've moved on to speak a lot, a lot about mobilizing mission. <clears throat> we spent a number of weeks speaking about prioritizing presence, our first practice, and how we want to wholeheartedly surrender our hearts to Jesus. And then we've moved on to prioritizing, or sorry, we've moved on now to mobilizing mission. And I said last week, it's important that even though we have to teach these sort of in blocks as a theme, it's important that we don't compartmentalize this. Often in the church, because we have to set up teams and all, we have the prayer team and the mission team and all of that, and we think we kind of become specialists in certain areas. But the reality is, this is all supposed to be life. This is supposed to be incarnated in our living. And we prioritize the presence because it's what we were born to know. We were born to be in fellowship and communion with our maker. And in Jesus and through Jesus, he's made that possible. And because of that, we start to realize that as we honor and prioritize his presence, the presence isn't just for us. The part of who God is, who himself is presence, the essence of presence and very self, that love 
overflows. It's not kept for itself. So God is personal to us, but he's never private. And so out of a prioritization of the presence comes a mobilization of mission, a thrusting outwards to the broken and to the poor and to the lost. This was part of our original mandate to enjoy the presence of God like Adam and Eve did on the earth, but to steward that well so that the blessing of God or the presence of God would be multiplied in and through the earth. And so in the book of Nehemiah, which we've been using as a bit of a guide, we've come to realize that he, um, in some ways, embodied and epitomized this in his own life and in his heart to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. He's a person caught up in the presence of God. The first few weeks, our first few chapters and the first few weeks that we looked at this, we explored that. But then he was thrust from his place of comfort, from his place of privilege. He was thrust out with a dream and a brokenness for the world. Um, He wasn't just carrying the brokenness of God for a city. He was also carrying the dream of God for a city. It was kind of twofold. And that's what I think life in all its fullness is all about, to be honest. Carrying and engaging with God in what he feels for the world in which we live and carrying the dreams of God for the world in which we live. And um, so our conviction to you is that Nehemiah is displaying through his book the heart and character of God. And uh, and with that in mind, we, we pushed on to look at um, what it really means to mobilize mission. And just a quick recap on these broad themes. The ultimate picture of God in the Bible is of a father, okay, who wants to have a family, and a family that's based on his love that he's drawn to himself. But because of sin and brokenness, that family has got away. And God, in his love, decides that he will do whatever it takes to get them back, to go and rescue them. He, uh, he goes out for his people. There is an impulse within God that cannot stay to himself. Um, and so, with that in mind, we said we have to understand God differently if we're going to understand the true biblical understanding of mission. God is a missionary. God is something in himself It will, will always go. He's always sending. I love this quote from David Bosch. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church. It's not just something we have to do because we're Christians, but it's an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. God is a God who in and from himself is thrusting out his love, enveloping the world in himself. Since the beginning of time, he's, there's been a powerful movement from God to the world out of his heart. He is sending his love and his spirit. He sent his spirit on the wor- upon the face of the deep in the first few passages of Scripture. He sent his word through the prophets. He sent his son into the world. He sent his spirit on the church, and he sends us into the world. Jesus said himself, as you sent me, he's talking to the Father. So Jesus says, as you sent me, I now send them. So mission is not simply an activity of the church, but it's the very heart and nature of who God is. And that's what we want to get caught up in as a people. And therefore, if God is a missionary, then it helps us understand our role as a church. Because all of a sudden, what we're not doing is trying to put on the best gig in town. Or trying to have a a cool, funky church. All of a sudden, we are sent people. We're caught up in the heart of God, sent out into the world 
to make known the good news that God is for people and he loves them and he wants to rescue them and redeem them. And so we get caught up in this movement outwards. Mission means to be sent. A sense of a mission or a movement outwards. That's a Latin phrase. The Greek phrase in the Bible is the word apostello, which is, means that we are first and foremost an apostolic, a sent out people. And so we want you to get comfortable with this kind of language because we're going to use it a lot. And this is what the Great Commission looks like. As we worship Jesus, we're transformed into his likeness, and his likeness is to go. His likeness is not, I'm just going to put my feet up here and enjoy what I can enjoy and keep it to myself. His love is always, and his likeness is always to overflow. And so we can't just like get caught up in worship all of these days without it ever leading to the broken and the lost, or without it having that orientation, because that's not who God is. God is not, I'll keep this all to myself. God is overflowing with love. Our primary purpose as a church is to participate with Christ in his mission for the world. Two or three weeks ago, my, my good friend, many of you know him, Dixie, who had the privilege of helping lead the Jesus when he was, I don't know, when we were 20 or 21 or something. And he's our evangelist over in Lurgan on the streets a lot. And three weeks ago, he was driving down to church and he felt the prompting in his spirit as he drove down to the bottom of the Guilford Road. And he felt the Lord say to him, this little hunch, he felt, I need to go into super value. So he goes, okay, why do I need to go into super value? You know, don't need any more groceries. All of that, but he parks the car, goes into Super Value, walks around Super Value twice, wondering what on earth he's doing, walking around Super Value, just like wondering if this hunch is true or not. And as he walks out the door to go back and get into his car, this guy who he'd spoken to a few weeks before earlier on that week, called Robbie, says to him, Here, Dixie. Dixie turns around and Robbie's standing in front of him. The guy walks up to him and says, here, Dixie, see this whole business about getting saved? How do you do that? And Dixie says to him, well, you do what I told you to do last week <laughs> when he was talking to him. And um, the guy had a conversation with Dixie about, about Jesus and about what Jesus had done for him. And he came down to church a week afterwards. He gave his heart to Jesus and he got baptized last Sunday night. It's amazing, isn't it? It still happens. It's the power of the gospel. And you know, and it couldn't be any more normal in many ways, but yet it's supernatural. That Dixie on his way down the Guilford Road in Lurgan, coming to a roundabout, that God would put somebody in his heart that he's concerned about, that he loves. Because God is not up there thinking, I'm just, he's not, he, he loves us. He's thinking about us all the time because we're his bride and he, his love is set upon the Christians and all of that. But he loves the lost. He's thinking about them all the time too. And he wants us to get participating with him in his mission. So the reason I'm re-emphasizing this is because I really want you to understand that this is what we feel God is calling us to be as a church. This is the kind of church we feel God is calling us to be here. And he wants us to plant a church that will be ascending church. A church where we'll be compelled to see people one for Christ. If people aren't coming to know Jesus on a regular basis as we get set, we'll start to be asking ourselves questions because they should. Because if we're doing what we should be doing, we should be introducing people to Jesus. We'll not be a bunch of Christians gathering for ourselves. We'll be a community, a family 
on a mission. We will gather like we do this morning, but we will gather to scatter. Our success will not be in how many people we can get into a building. Our success will be how many people we can get out of the building to carry the message of Jesus. We want to be a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for the saints. I want us as a body here to be a church where anything can happen. And so our prayer will be, come Holy Spirit. And I want us to be a church where everyone is welcome. And so our cry will be, come all who are thirsty. That's the message of the gospel. Wherever you're hungry and thirsty and broken, come. You're welcome. There's a drink that you can have from Jesus that nothing else can compare with. It can quench the longing in your heart of which nothing else can. And so that's the kind of church that we want to be. And it follows then if this divine impulse within us is the divine impulse of God is in us as the church that we'll start to see the world differently. We'll start not just to see the world as these kind of bunch of people that are, you know, going to hell in a handbasket sort of thing. But we'll see the the world as wayward children who the Father wants back. Broken people like we are, who God wants to come and to love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He loved the world. It doesn't say, for God was so angry with the world that he gave. He, He loved the world. And it doesn't say, for God so loved the church in this verse. It says, for God so loved the world. He loves people. Now, I'm not saying God's not angry about things. He is. But his primary disposition is love. He's slow to anger, the Bible says. For God so loved the world. And so when this divine impulse, the heart of God, the thrusting outward part of who God is to the world, gets inside us, we'll see the world as broken individuals who God wants to redeem back to their original design. And what I finished with last week was by saying that if we see this in individuals... We can also see it over cities. We can start to see in our towns and our cities the plans and purposes that God has for them. And we cannot join in with the narrative of people around us that, oh, this place is a dire, this place is a hole, (laughs) or whatever kind of language we use. But we join in with God's heart for what he sees. And this is what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah, the verses I ended with last week, Nehemiah will not settle for, first of all, the current state of the city. So he rides about in his horse and he surveys the city and he says, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we we will no longer be in disgrace. Nehemiah will not settle for the current state of the way things are. He'll not buy into that label that has stuck to the city that he was from. And secondly, he'll not settle for the lies of the enemy about it. It says, when Sambalat and the, Hor- the, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. Their plans to rebuild the city. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or can claim any historic right to it. I love that. Nehemiah is like, I'm not going to let these kind of negative voices that are trying to just stick a label on our town and our city and the place that we're from, they have no right to that. 
God had a design and a dream for this city and for these people. And I'm not going to allow, and we're not going to allow as the people of God, the enemy to steal from that anymore. When we understand God as a missionary, a God of love, who from his heart has this outward thrust to the world, we as a church then will participate in his mission, and we will see the world, the individuals that we work with every day, and the city and towns that we're from, through his eyes, with his perspective. Yeah, that's what God is calling us to get caught up in, to carry his brokenness, but to carry his dream. And here's the thing, the dream is ultimately bigger than the brokenness. Hope is greater than despair. Love is stronger than death. Mourning will turn to dancing. That's the hope of what we carry, and that's what we want to declare. And so I want to push on a bit further this morning to talk about what is this message actually that we do carry? I've outlined, I suppose, over the last week, the, the big themes of mission in the Bible. Who God is, who the church is, who the world is. But we need to narrow that a little bit today to go, what is our message? And I think we need to take some time to unpack that because in Northern Ireland in particular, I think we've un- misunderstood the mission and the gospel of Jesus. I think we've reduced it into something that... it. Um, that is reductionist, if that's the word to use. And so let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. The message is not simply that God wants to snatch people out of hell. The message is not that God's looking to rapture us all out of this earth as quick as he can. The message is not that even that God just wants to save individual souls. All of those things are very key and part of the story, potentially. But it's a part of something much bigger and better. The gospel is big and bold and beautiful. And God, I think, wants us to rediscover a confidence in it as the people of God. And so the lens that I think that we need to understand this through is this, ultimately. God wants to rule with his people. He wants to be in fellowship with them, but he wants his rule to be amongst them. And I say rule, it's not like hard and fast kind of rule that he wants to rule over us in some, you know, kind of controlling um you know, kind of hyper-mechanical kind of way. He wants his loving, loving rule to be amongst his people. He wants to live amongst us. He's always wanted that. We see this in the Garden of Eden, the start of our story, don't we? God ruling with mankind, living with them, fellowshipping with them, walking with them in the cool of the day. That's the start of our story. And we see it at the end of our story in Revelation. It tells us how this whole thing's going to play out at the very end. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God just wants to dwell with his people. That's how the story starts. That's how the story ends. God living and ruling amongst his people. Essentially, God has always wanted the realm of heaven to overlap and interlock with earth. That's why the Bible's really cool about angels jumping into our lives and all this kind of supernatural stuff going on. It's much more normal than we let it be because God wanted those two realms to overlap and interlock where he lives to be on earth. The desire of God to be with mankind comes into even clearer focus, doesn't it, when Jesus teaches us how to pray. How should we pray, the disciples say? And Jesus teaches them what we know as the Lord's Prayer, but Central to that prayer is this, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So whatever's going on in heaven, pray that that happens on earth. Pray that the inbreaking of heaven starts to happen on this earth. Pray that another world starts to break into the one that we're living in. That's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that the place where I live breaks into this place where you live. God wants to rule with mankind in relationship, under his lordship, under his rule, under his reign. It's, it's not just about, it is about, and this is for some of you today, by the way, I think, it is about individuals repenting and coming to know the good news of Jesus. But it's also a bigger, bolder thing of what Jesus is doing in the whole world. Let me read this to you, this beautiful, beautiful passage, because this is what Jesus died to restore. I'm going to read from Colossians 1, and I'm going to read it in the message. So um, if you want to just look at the screens, or if you want to look at it in your own translation, that's great. But I just love the way Eugene Peterson unpacks this beautiful passage of Scripture. He says this, We look at this sun, and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. See that? That's how we look at the world. We see God's original purpose in everything he created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him. He's talking about Jesus here. Everything got started in him and found his purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning, and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. Listen to this. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals, even atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Isn't this the most outstanding news like, honestly, this is the kind of news that you want to, like, just jump up over your seat now and run around like a crazy person and just, yes! Because everything that got broken, everything that's gone wrong, everything that's got fractured is going to be made new because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Everything. And all we have to do is join in with what God's doing in history, His redemption. All because of what Jesus has done. Everything that went wrong because of the fall is being put right in Jesus. Everything, a new redemptive order has come on the earth because of what Jesus has done. He's come to turn the world, to flip it upside down, or even better, to flip it the right way up again. This is what he's done. And the phrase that encapsulates this, this um, theme of God ruling amongst his people, is the thing that's really, really important for us to grasp this morning. And this is the kind of key point. It's the phrase that Jesus used most probably when he was on the earth. And it's this phrase, the kingdom of God. And Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God, the inbreaking of God's rule and reign on the earth. That where God lives, it was coming now on the earth amongst the people who would acknowledge him as king and be formed under King Jesus. And as the kingdom comes on the earth, right, that passage that we just read, liberation, freedom, gets unleashed through the earth, 
right? Not just to save my soul, but holistically, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Liberation, freedom is being released and unleashed on the earth. It's not what happened with Jesus. Everywhere he went, the atmosphere of heaven, the demons were trembling. They couldn't cope with it. The darkness was exposed because Jesus, the king, was on the earth. It was being released, and people were being formed and set free into a new way. They were being shown how to live under the rule of God's kingdom. Here's a little quote from George Eldon Ladd, which will please those of you from the vineyard tradition, because this was John Wimber's theologian, really. And he said this, The kingdom of God is the redemptive rate of God, dynamically active to establish his rule among men. This kingdom, which will appear as an apocalyptic, that means like at the end, at the end of the age, has already come. Has already come. Right? I know I don't mind this to be primary school, but do you mind just saying that to yourself? Say, say, let's say it out loud together. Has already come. The future has invaded the present. The new thing that God's going to establish forever on the earth has entered into the now. Yeah, the kingdom reign of God has come into human history in the person and the mission of Jesus to overcome evil and to to deliver men from its power and to bring them into the blessing of God's reign. The theme or the reality of the kingdom of God is the fulfillment of the story of God. This is what it's all been waiting for. You see, we have heard of God's kingdom earlier in the story. Right? So God's kingdom, we sung about it this morning. I asked Dossie, would he sing that, that refrain? Our God reigns forever, your kingdom reigns. Yeah? Because throughout the Old Testament, this is what the prophets would have said. They would have spoken about the kingdom of God. Your kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. It says this, for example, the psalmist would say, They tell of the glory of your kingdom and they speak of your might so that all men might know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Right. So the idea of the kingdom of God was talked about in the Old Testament, right? that God's kingdom. But what really was it, I suppose? And how was it going to come? But it existed. So what I want to say to you is the good news of what Jesus came to Clarence was not this new concept about the kingdom, because they would have known about the kingdom of God, and that God was king over this kingdom. What Jesus was actually saying was there is a new availability to this kingdom. This kingdom existed. This kingdom has existed. But now there's a whole new availability to it. You can reach out and touch it. It's like at hand. The atmosphere of heaven is on the earth. And Jesus came. This is why the Pharisees and all couldn't cope with this. Because he was coming claiming to be the king of that kingdom. This was what what, what was so shocking to them because as far as they were concerned, he was just a wee carpenter from around the corner who did the odd miracle. But Jesus was saying, no, no, the king has actually stepped onto the earth. You see, the Israelites had this idea of God being one. In a a world where there was like loads of pagan gods, right? The Israelites had this kind of idea. And they would have said this. Like if we send our kids to Sunday school, little boys and Jewish boys and girls, every morning and every night, Jesus would have done the same. Would have said this from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. 
you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would have said that every morning and every day. It was called a Shema in Hebrew because they believed in the midst of all of these pagan gods that their God was the one true God, okay? And that Yahweh was Lord over all the earth, right? And so when Jesus came, <laughs> this carpenter in like every day kind of clothes probably, doing everyday kind of things, but having this radical love and claiming to be the Messiah, the Lord, (laughs) the King of the kingdom. That was a whole new thing for them to get their heads around. But that's who he was. And he was saying, it's it's for everyone. (laughs) And you're welcome. And there's good news because the kingdom has come. Heaven is on the earth And all the kind of types of people that you think don't get in, it's available for them. It's for the broken and the busted and the bankrupt and the ones that have nothing left to give. It's for them. Congratulations, he's saying. Blessed are you. Sorry, I'm getting a bit carried away this morning. Blessed are you because the kingdom has come. It's it's for you. It's within reach. It's, It's now. This is the good news. And so when we talk about... um. When we talk about the kingdom coming, we're talking about Jesus Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior, but Jesus as Lord and Jesus as King. Where am I in my notes? Yeah. And so Jesus needed to reestablish the lordship of, of, of heaven on the earth. Why, why did Jesus need to reestablish this? He, he, he needed to reestablish it for a reason. Um, are, you, are you always with me? I know I'm going into some kind of bigger stuff, get get the CD, the CD, that's <laughs> like 80s or something, isn't it? Get the whatever it's on and listen to it again, because I'd love you just to really kind of try and get this in. This is really important for us to grasp, I think, what the Lord's just want to say to us over these weeks. But why did Jesus need to come to reestablish his kingdom on the earth? This, this is important, right? Because what happened was in the Garden of Eden, right, man sinned. But sometimes we think of sin as just like the bad things we do. You know, maybe when we were younger, we took some money out of our mummy's purse or we told a few lies. And then, then we got older and we did some bigger sins. And it's like the bad things that we do. But that's, that is part of it. But it's a more deeper fundamental thing. Sin is, comes from this desire, this deep thing inside us that wants to be in control. I want to live my life. I want to be the king of my life. And I don't need no God being the king of my life. And we wouldn't really say it like that, but that's kind of what we're saying. And so if self and selfishness is the root of who we are, then the the acts will be sinful. They will be self-centered. We can still be good people, but ultimately there is a part of us inside that hasn't got off the throne of our own heart. We're still sitting there in control. And Jesus, Jesus... Never wanted that. And God never wanted that. And see, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a wee whisper from the serpent that says, if you eat of this tree, you can what? You can be like God. Right? Now, that was bad enough, right? But God still wanted to go after his people. But the time you get to Samuel in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 8, up until that time, God had still led his people through Abraham and the descendants and through Moses and all of that. And they'd went through a period of the judges and um, actually, if, if you know the story of Gideon, they came to Gideon, who's one of the judges who delivered the people, and they said to him, Gideon, I tell you what, we're going to make you king. And Gideon's like, what? Don't be so stupid. We don't have human kings. Like God, Yahweh is our king. But that was always the way it was supposed to be. But 
a few years later, they're still wanting this thing. And they say to Samuel, who's the last judge and the first prophet, they say to Samuel, Samuel, we want a king. We don't fancy your sons too much who are coming through. They're not looking like they're going to be able to lead us. You're going to die soon, so we want a king. And Samuel's like, what, you want a king? Yahweh, God is your king. He wants to rule amongst you. And Samuel's distraught, and he goes to God, and he says, God, what are we going to do? These people want, they don't want you, they want, they want a human king. And God says, Samuel, don't worry, don't take it personal. It's not you that rejected Samuel, it's me. And can you hear the, can you hear the brokenness in the heart of God? They've rejected, it's not, it's not you, Samuel, they've rejected me. But, and so we're going to give them a king. And we're going to, but we're going to tell them how these kings are going to work. And we see a glimpse of what the kingdom can look like in the person of David, but he, he wasn't really perfect either. Sure, he wasn't. But God gives them kings, and the rest of them, the majority of them, there's a few good ones, but the majority of them are bad. And so Jesus has to come because that was not plan A. Plan, that was not plan A. It was God rules with his people. But the people chose plan B. We'll have another person ruling us. We'll have a human king, one of our own. (laughs) And Jesus has to come into the earth to reestablish his rule and his reign in a whole new way. And it's going to be countercultural. It's going to cut across, right? The way that the kings of this earth try to rule the world. It's going to cut across the powers that be. And Jesus is saying, you can reach out and touch this kingdom because it's now at hand. You see, I love this quote from Scott McKnight. Remember, the story of sin in the Bible is the story of God's elect people wanting to be God, God-like. I want to be God myself instead of being godly, of ruling instead of sub-ruling and being ruled. And so that's the story of sin. And, and that's the story of sin today. People want to rule their own lives rather than bowing the knee and saying, Jesus, you know what? I'm broken. I don't think I deserve you. But in your grace, you lavish that grace upon me. And I'm surrendering my life to you for you to come and make it what only you can make it, for you to fulfill every part of it. This is the story of sin. But in Jesus, this is the story of the kingdom coming to be reestablished on the earth in a people who will surrender to the king. There is no king. There is no kingdom without the king. Interestingly, we live in a world today that want the kingdom without the king. So we hear lots in the news about tolerance, justice, but we want it our way. Yeah? We want tolerance the way we want tolerance. We want, you know, we, you know nobody, we're not going to be subject to anybody telling us what to do. We want, we want, to, we want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. It doesn't work like that. We don't see the kingdom coming. But Jesus was saying, now my rule is available. The king has come. <laughs> and the kingdom, here's what Jesus was basically saying, it's even better than you thought it could be. It's, it's a party. There's a party going on. And everybody's welcome. Everyone's got a place at the table. Bring the broken and the lame and the ones that are outside and the ones that have been despised. Bring them in. Because such is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was inaugurating the kingdom. He was saying the kingdom, the future is now started. So when... Uh, Theresa May, whoever came into officer, or when one of the 
presidents come into office, they have, you will know it, like an inauguration speech, isn't it? When they'll try to impress us with all the things that they're going to do during their time in office. And they will be inaugurating their time in office. When Jesus came on the earth, he was inaugurating his kingdom. And this was the kingdom that was going to go on forever and forever and forever. And so one day in Luke chapter 4, he came with his inauguration speech. He, he, was, he was outlining his manifesto. Yeah, So you know sometimes in the papers you hear, oh, their manifesto's been leaked to the papers. Here's what they're going to do or here's what they're not going to do during their time of office. Jesus comes and he gives his manifesto, his inauguration speech of the kingdom. Here the, the carpenter from Galilee stands up in the temple one day and he says this. And this, he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Sorry, I don't know. That first sentence doesn't make sense. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And he set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Today, the scripture has been fulfilled. The kingdom has now come. The anointed one that you've been waiting for, I am he. And the kingdom that will come forever and ever, that Jesus will come and establish on this earth forever, is starting now. He was, in effect, he was saying that the future of heaven has rushed into the present. Rushed into the present. It is now. And so sometimes we say, and I haven't got time to unpack this too much more, because I just want to take five more minutes, and then we're going to have communion together this morning. But Jesus when he was coming, he was saying that the future of heaven has rushed into the present. Now, we haven't seen the full consummation of that victory yet. That is coming. Jesus is coming back to reestablish his kingdom fully on the earth. Fully. But that doesn't mean it hasn't started now. In fact, don't let yourself be confused Jesus has already won the victory. Yeah. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he's already, the Bible said, made a public spectacle of the enemy. He's dragged them through the heavenly ranks. Jesus has won. We are on the winning side. And the kingdom is coming. And it's going to be fully consummated. Until that time, folks, we've got work to do. And our work is to proclaim that this kingdom is coming. To proclaim that it is now. And so sometimes we talk about the fact that the kingdom is now and not yet. It is now. There has been a fulfillment within history when Jesus came and what he did on the cross. But it is also not yet. We still struggle. We still have pain. We still feel the effects of sin in the world, don't we? But Jesus is coming to make all things new. I'm a Liverpool supporter, right? I've, t- I've taken three or four months to like, confess, right? But we're doing well at the minute, so we can talk about it. And um, um, But... You know, part of my, my, my childhood involved having to watch Man United win the league for so many years in a row. It was awful. And get abuse from all my friends. But because they were such a good team in the whatever, 90s, 2000s and all of that, like often, a bit like Man City this year, often they had won the league before the league was over. You know, do you know what I mean? They had, they'd already won. They'd, they'd won it. 
It was over, but they still had to play a few games until they lifted the trophy. Yeah? Now, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he won. It's no extra time, no penalty kicks, no golden goals. You don't need any VAR or any of that nonsense. Jesus has won. It's decisive. He sat down at the throne. The enemy's under his feet. It's not going to change. Jesus has won the victory. Now, in the meantime, there's a few more games that need played. And our job is to win them, right? And we will feel at times, right, because of the world in which we live, we will feel the brokenness in our own hearts at times. We'll feel it in our own lives, and we'll feel it for other people. It'll feel like a few goals are getting scored against us at times. It'll feel like sometimes, it'll even feel like we're getting slaughtered. But the reality is, and the hope is, we've won, right? And Jesus is coming back to lift the trophy. And we're all going to be around him. And we're all going to be jumping up and round. And you've you got to want to be there, folks. You want to be in that team. You want to be in that team. If you're not in that team, you need to be in that team. Because <laughs> Jesus is coming back. And he's going to establish his kingdom on the earth. And here's the thing. We're not all going to fly off into the clouds like Casper and play like harps, like fat wee cherubs that you see pictures of. And All right? That's not happening. Actually, heaven is coming down. A new heaven is coming down onto the earth. And we're going to live on this earth. A new heaven and a new earth. We're going to live on this earth forever. Until that time, the kingdom is now. And so I'm very comfortable. While at times I look out the window, it's a bit like looking out the window on a winter's day and you see the sun. A bit like right now, but you go out and you still feel the chill of winter. The, sun, the sun's are. <laughs> it's not changing. But you still sometimes feel the chill. Sometimes it's not yet. Some of you feel like that today. Some of your lives feel like it's more of the not yet this morning than it is the now. But when I tell you Jesus is coming back, it's not going to be like that forever. He is making all things new. And I'm very comfortable with the fact and the theology that in the meantime, we are pushing the enemy further and further and further into the corner. We're squeezing him out. We're squeezing him out. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're squeezing him out because one day there will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be more, no more night. <laughs> there will be no more tears. Behold, I am making everything new. But our message, guys, we're on the front foot. There's never been a better time to be part of the church, yeah? We're on the front foot. And as we finish, I had loads more to say, but I'm going to leave it there. Leave it to Chris next week. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Come back next week, in the next couple of weeks, and let's push further into this. Chris and Debbie have been living this for years, and they'll have stuff to say that will take this to another level. But I just want to say and finish today, how, if that is the manifesto of the kingdom that Jesus came fulfilling, and Jesus came inaugurating, what was the message as we come to communion? The message was this. Repent. Repent. Now, repent doesn't mean a big dirty word that you have to feel loads of shame over. Repent just means turn around your thinking. Give up control. And change your thinking. And so some of us, maybe for the first time, we need to just surrender to Jesus this morning. But every single one of us need to go on repenting. I need to go on repenting every day. If I, if I watch too much TV, it doesn't need to be like bad, bad stuff. If I just watch too much TV, if I read too much of the papers, I need to repent because I start thinking the way the world thinks. If I spend too much time on social media, I'm not saying it's wrong, but if that's where I live my life, I need to repent because I just suck in air of a world that lives a different way. 
And I need to keep coming back to Jesus and turn around my life because the kingdom's at hand and I want to see it. Seek first. Seek first what? The kingdom of God. Repent. Turn your life around. Let go of anything that is not your highest good. Change your thinking. Change your mindset. Surrender to the king. Let him come and sit as Lord in your life. And so as we come to remember the Lord here in a couple of seconds, I want you just to take a moment to think about this personally, but I also want us to do it as a family because the way that this kingdom got manifested fully was amongst a people, a people living under the rule of King Jesus. That's what Jesus came to reestablish, a people. He came to reestablish what they'd rejected in the days of Samuel. Way back in the story, he came to say, I am here. The king is on the earth, and I am reestablishing the rule of God on the earth amongst a people surrendered to King Jesus. So what a feast we have to remember this morning. Let me just take a few moments and just reflect and allow the Holy Spirit just to bring maybe even to your attention those things that you want to repent of. Don't go to the place of shame this morning. That's not the Lord. But let him very gently convict with his truth, by your by his spirit, let him bring to mind those things. There was a Chris Pratt actually just at the end of worship. He said, "You know those things that the Lord has, those things that maybe we haven't, those parts that maybe we haven't surrendered to the Lord. Why don't we just do that now and surrender afresh to Him?"